Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's always a good week on the GM Shuffle, and Mike is upsetting people on Twitter and social media. So, had a nice little back and forth with you and Scott Hansen. That's always oh, good entertainment. I wasn't Listen, gonna Mike, get... you, you, at heart, you are. I feel like you're like a lineman, right? You like to mix it up a little bit on the line, right? Let's get down and dirty. I wasn't bitter and I wasn't angry. I was just making a point. Like, I think you, you know, it's the role, right? I mean, I was just making a point. Like, I wasn't angry. I'm really happy. I'm not. I mean, I like Scott. I'm delighted, but I don't need his commentary on the play selection and questioning coaches that's all i was trying to say it's a little bit like just stay in your lane know your lane look there's a great saying you know farm your own land you know when you know what you are i wasn't bitter but i mean you know when you when you're sitting there second guessing a guy who's probably going to go in the hall of fame because he's not challenging something you might be wrong you just might be wrong i mean i think sean payton knows a little bit more you know a little bit you know you i you insulted him a little bit hey, <laughs> yeah you insulted him a little bit i didn't insult nobody no i insulted him a little bit a little right. bit yes you did yes you did let's get the attention of football we're obviously gonna break down the games by the way my guy is 39 19 and one with picks okay 39 19 and one if you're doubling your wins and losses, that's pretty freaking good. I know, and people are like, where do you give your picks out? Just listen to the podcast. It ta- this Thursday is a half hour. We're not going to take too much of your time. Just listen to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, and you know what? I, I've been fortunate. I've been lucky. I've been doing these power rankings, so it takes the emotion out of it. I love it. It's just it's cold, ruthless logic, which will win you money. <laughs> to the topic at hand, New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick reiterating Tuesday morning he had no knowledge of a production crew filming the Bengals sideline during Sunday's game against the Browns which spurred an NFL investigation. Belichick said in a conference call, I mean, I had no idea what it was about. Then, you know, I got an explanation. I think the organization released that explanation or something similar to that. That's really all I know about it. NFL Network Insider Ian Rappaport reported that New England was approved by the Browns for a videographer to be credentialed to shoot a behind-the-scenes piece on an advanced scout as part of their Do Your Job video series. Mike, you know what the Pats' history, and certainly your ties to the Patriots, People hear this thing, oh, those are pages cheating again. What's your take on this? You know, I think there's really, it's exactly what the coach said. I mean, what people don't understand is, so Kraft has Kraft Productions, which is his production company, and he has people that actually, you know, work for the website, and they produce things, and obviously this Do Your Jobs video series they produce. They're in the stadium, but they're nowhere near the football department, and they are no way connected to the football department and anybody that's in works in there has nothing to do like that video people have nothing to do with the video people that work in in the Patriots that handle the tape and i think they hired people it wasn't that they brought their own crew i thought they hired cleveland people to come in there and help them they had a production guy so for me i think it's a no story i think that clearly this if they violated anything it's because they violated it through the craft production company which i think they did admit right yes and the football was gaining no advantage. Like, if you seriously think that you're gaining an advantage of filming the sideline, first of all, if I decided, maybe I'll do it on my last podcast, if I announced to the world, you know, Belichick got caught for filming all that stuff, Spygate, right? If I decided to pull a, a Donnie Brasco and turn state evidence here and get release the names of the people who were notorious stealers of <laughs> signals in the NFL— it would probably be the number one episode. <laughs> we go it with a bang. You become Joseph Deepest Stone and just rat on everybody. And I'm not a rat. I'm not going to rat you out. But I'm just saying, 
if I wanted to, you know, there's some in the Hall of Fame that I could write out as well. Now, I'm not mentioning names here, but and so that's why the radio communication became so important. It took away all that that ability to steal signals, the ability to, you know, to read lips. I mean, now guys cover their mouths. Nobody really does. I mean, he claps, but other than that, he doesn't talk. So nobody looks for him. And and the whole reality of it is, is all you're doing is, is what personnel groups are on the field. That's the only thing, the only thing an advanced scout does when he goes to the game. He sees who does the substitutions. That's A. He sees how quickly they substitute. When they snap the ball, that's really important because when you want to do is when you're advanced scouting a game, you want to be able to see when they if they snap the ball with eight seconds, then you know in your game plan you want to be able to disguise your coverages to the eight second mark. Okay. If they snap it quick, you know that. You got to disguise early. If they snap it late, you've got to. So you practice that during the week. So you get that from the game. Okay. What else do you get? You get substitutions, you get the play clock. That's it. That's really it. You're not getting anything else. I mean, you could sit at home and watch the game. You know, I could sit at home and tell you when they're going to snap it. I watched the TV copy of games before we would play a team because I could see it clearer. There's sometimes you get that close up. And what else do you get? You watch the TV copies. You know what else you watch TV? For the snap count. Defensive line coaches watch the TV copy so they can hear blue 90, blue 90 set, and then they go. They, they get the rhythm of the count. And that's why they watch a TV copy. So what's all being made, what's being gleaned from that press box is really nothing. So essentially it's a non-story. And like you said, Belichick himself was like, listen, I didn't know anything about it. Let's move on. Uh, if you think the Patriots are cheating again because the people who don't like the Patriots, okay, fine. But as you illuminated, you're really not gaining anything by it. It's just information. I, I know. and But you're right, though. I mean, in fairness to the people that are questioning this, the Patriots have made their, as my grandmother used to tell me, you make your bed, you got to lay in it, right? They've made their bed. Mm-hmm. And anytime something comes up, like I think the most ridiculous story, and I'd like to hear your perspective of this, Deflategate. Like I was in the building for Deflategate. I thought Deflategate was a worldwide leader production. I thought it was a worldwide leader, you know, through Ryan Grigson, through the Ravens. I thought it was produced, directed, filmed by the worldwide leader because it became a story that was no story that be all of a sudden manifested itself to where we lose a really good fucking player, a defensive lineman in the first round, and we get fine money. I remember at ESPN, I mean, you couldn't talk about it enough. Like, if you know one thing about ESPN, whether you're doing radio or TV, it's play the hits. And Deflategate, I mean, I was deflated talking about it every day because I'm like, well, what really is the story? And I went from like thinking, um, okay, this is not good, right? You, you shouldn't be inflating balls. Okay, what does this mean? But the more I talked with former players, particularly quarterbacks, I was like, okay, how much of an advantage is it? Is it an advantage? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, how much of an advantage is it? Not really. Okay, what exactly did this matter that, oh, well, well Brady broke his phone, or he didn't talk to Goodell, but blah, blah, blah. The more I looked at the story, Mike, the more I was like, I can't help. It was the classic mountain out of a molehill. Right? The Patriots aired right. and made a mistake. Absolutely. Brady shouldn't have done it. Okay, got it. But when people were like, give him a game, I go, give him a game, like a game suspension for this? I'm like, nah, 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 this is like a fine. Hey, don't do it again. Blah, blah, blah. We move on. When, when people were saying like four games, it was crazy. And, and they never convicted him. Right. Because the one story somebody said to me, well, then they said that, oh, well, Brady wasn't cooperative. I go, define not cooperative. And why would you want to be cooperative in this situation? What do you want to say? Why would he give his phone away? Why would he give his phone away? To, I mean, who knows what's on his phone with Giselle? I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, like, seriously. You know, you know it's funny. I wrote a column for the, the Daily Coach, and I think we have a hard time in this country really knowing what the truth was. So one day, Bob Hope's sitting at home in Palm Springs. He's 95 years old, having breakfast. 
and he's got the television on, and there's a news alert, right? And it announces that Bob Hope's dead. <laughs> he's watching us. He's watching that he's dead. Surreal moment. Right? Surreal moment. He kind of chuckles it off. He thinks, oh, somebody screwed up. He doesn't think twice about it. An hour later, Dick Army, the representative of the House and Senate, he announces, he sends his representative out there to talk about to the legislature how Bob Hope's dead and how badly they feel and what Bob Hope is a great American, what he's done for this country going on the USO tours and all that stuff. Meanwhile, Bob Hope's just finishing his muffin, right? <laughs> He, you know? He's just settling in for Judge Judy on the, the armchair. Exactly. <laughs> Can you see him in his robe with his walker, you know? And now eight it takes eight hours, A.D., for the truth to come out. Like, at some point, I think that story it resonates in terms of what are we dealing— and then I went into the whole column about three levels of truth. Like, what is really true? And I think sometimes we report on things, and I'm not talking fake news politics here. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about do we really know what is true? Do we really understand it? And the problem with us is we don't learn the truth until 50 years later. Operation Mongoose wasn't on our minds in 63, and it is today. You know, when, when Kennedy and Cuba, we didn't realize that, you know, we took weapons out of out of Turkey, so they would take weapons out of, out of Cuba. You know, we just, we takes time to hear the truth. And I think a lot of this stuff in the NFL is the same way. Yeah, and people love that expression, you know, it's not the cover-up, it's the crime. But I remember with Deflake, and I'm like, what's the cover-up? He just broke his phone. Like, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cover-up to me, I'm like, involves espionage and people in fedoras, yeah. and like, you know, the communists or something. What cover-up? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Make Me Smarter is our segment. The Art of Coaching. Uh, speaking of Belichick and the Patriots, fascinating documentary on HBO. They always do a terrific job with this. Liev Schreiber, of course, narrating it. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I watched most of it. And it's Belichick and Saving having an in-depth conversation just about their lives. And there's a lot that they share, Mike, as you know, know on both these guys. Their father's influences on their careers, their tenure with the Browns in the 90s, relationships with others. I mean, you've got Ozzie Newsom, Kirby Smart, Joshua Daniels, many more. A couple of things before I ask about your participation or your involvement with the documentary. One, I love how they start it. You know, they meet and Saban goes, hey, before you guys turn the camera on, can we just have, or Belichick says it, before you guys turn the camera on, can we have a minute? But they actually still have one camera recording, which is rather surreptitious. <laughs> but they start talking ball. Like, and, and, and Liam Schreiber's narrator makes a point. He goes, you would think when they go, hey, can we have a minute before we start recording? It's like at a personal level. Like, oh, how's Terry doing? How are the kids? Blah, blah, blah. But no, basically he just goes, how's everything going? And Saban goes, you guys still playing the 3-4? He's like, yeah, primarily. He's like, yeah, defense is not bad. Getting a little better. Attacking was an issue. It was amazing to me. I'm like, these guys are football lifers all the time. It was very, very cool. And I think, you know, it's funny because whenever he calls the house, or, you know, obviously he calls my cell phone now, but not the house, but there's been numerous times where Millie will say to me, do you guys ever talk anything but football? And the answer is, we might say, hey, Bill, how's Linda doing? Or how's this? Or how's Amanda? How, you know, how's Steven? And he might ask me how Mick is. Of course, Mick's on his staff now, so he would have to ask me that. But, you know, <laughs> right. we talk about it. But then we're right into, we go right into it. And I thought the ending of it, when Bill got up and Bill wants to know about how he's playing that front, I thought that was symbolic of really what their relationship's about. I think there's two things. I think there's two courses that HBO could have taken. I think they should have taken, to me, as a writer, the writer in me felt like they didn't go down the right avenue. Just like Education of a Coach, the Halberstam book, I didn't think... Oh, yeah, I love Halberstam. Yeah. I love Halberstam, too, but I thought he could have shaped that book differently. I think this really is a contrast of two men that are fundamentally different, but yet philosophically the same. And the perfect example of this was, if you go back and watch it, was Bill giving the meeting 
the coaches' meetings. You know, I don't want to get fucking hit on these screens, okay? And then Nick's in there <laughs> talking about, you know, we got to play it. And Nick's room is, I mean, it's, it, I swear to God, you'd have to have a mater d' to get a table in that fucking room. I mean, Nick's staff meeting, it was probably, you got you to duke the guy 350 just to get a table, right? Bill's room, there was nobody <laughs> in it, right? There's like eight yeah. people around a table. It looked like, you know, and that's the contrast between the two. And yet, as diametrically different as they are, they somehow come together and share a universal respect for their knowledge. Now, when they leave each other, there's probably, I would say, 30% that Bill would never do that Bill Nick does. And it would be the same for Nick because Bill's going to be, you know, not have a bunch of checks. Nick's going to have checks. Bill's going to want to be more, you know, but they have a lot of similarities. And I think that that's what they missed on. I think they could have touched on that much better. Yeah, at one point, I can't remember if it's Belichick or Safe, but they say, well, we're both Croatian, so that's cool. There's not a lot of Croatians out there. So maybe we're, we're related on some level, maybe distant cousins, uh, driven by fathers, certainly demanding fathers, coaches. We don't know about Belichick's dad. In fact, that book that Halberstam wrote, Education of a Coach, is in many ways a father and son tale. Nick tells his dad, dad used to coach him in baseball, you know, soccer, everything. He goes, oh, my dad would coach me in all the sports. So you can tell they come from a coaching tree, so to speak. But one element I really loved, Mike, and this is useful for anybody in any profession, is that, you know, before you become whatever you become, become a person of stature in your profession, you have to put in the grunt work. There are no shortcuts. And that story that Saban tells about when early on we were starting making no money and he'd have to splice tape together to watch the defense and Belichick starts giving that knowing smile and laughing along like you don't understand how easy it is today to break down film. Back then you had to really love it and really want it. And no matter what your job is, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio didn't just win an Oscar. Like he's at some point these guys all grind their lives out. And I thought that was very cool. Anybody who's ever coached, you know it, having making peanuts that's when you started in football. There's a level where you are a grunt, and you're going to take it. And if you can persevere, you'll become someone. And for both of those guys, those memories and those moments never left them, it feels like. No, and they they've, they still impact them to this day. And I think what we see is, like, like, like I'm not picking on Kellen Moore, but what you see with guys like Kellen Moore or even Byron Left, which these guys that are ex-players, because they've played, you know, people think they know the game, right? And they really haven't done their 10,000 hours. They haven't done that grunt work. And, and you could say, well, Moore was a, a GA at Dallas. No, no, no. I'm talking about grunt work. I'm not talking about picking somebody up at the airport. I'm talking about doing the pads for, for days upon days. I'm talking about understand the, the philosophy, the reasons why people do things. And we've missed that tremendously. We don't have very many people like Nick and Bill that start out that way. You know, now Nick, now Bill does in his program, you know, my son started in personnel, you know, he moved into coaching and then he left and now he stayed in coaching. But you start as a grunt. And my kids, they, that's one of the things that I wanted them to do is start on the ground. You got to learn the basics. And it goes to the Gladwell 10,000 hour rule, but it also goes to what I wrote about in Gridiron Genius, which is Springsteen's ability to play Born to Run the same way, whether it's the first time or the 2700th time, you got to love what you're doing. And those two guys, you know, I think it was fairly obvious that no matter how much they win, no matter how many, you know, what year it is, they love the work. They love the work. The work is what, what drives them. You know, and they have personal freedom because it, the work allows them to keep doing it. it. If you took the work away, like my father's 93 years old, he retired. You know, finally, we got him to stop cutting hair. Barbershop Mike finally stopped cutting hair. Almost 70 years of cutting hair. He loved the work. He loved the work. 
You know, he loved the socialness of it all. He loved the work. And Belichick and, and Saban loved the work. And no matter what happens, you can't take that away from him. Yeah, it's like the expression. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Very, very cool. Belichick and Saban currently on HBO. Stay tuned. When we come back, a surging Bears team taking on their old division rival, the Green Bay Packers. We'll preview that game and a few other key NFC matchups after the break right here on GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's talk some games. To reiterate, Mr. Lombardi, 39-19-1 against the spread. we got five games to break down. Let's kick it off first with the Bears and the Packers. I did see a tweet. I mean, we come across all these. Not a mean tweet, but somebody kind of mocking. Oh, you guys haven't talked about Trubisky lately. Oh, because the Bears are 7-6. and six. Oh, okay, great. So go ahead on your, on your Trubisky mountain out there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, Bears and the Trubisky machine taking on the Packers at Lambeau, one of the great matches, Mike, in all of football. You know, you know, one of the great scenes in that art of coaching is when Belichick talks about when he gets on the airplane and he sees after a game and everybody's lost and he sees all the coaches looking at their videos. and Yeah. Really, you know, when we got to tackle better or we got to do something, that reminds me of the Bears and 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 in Trubisky. You know, like look, give Mitchell all the credit in the world, right? He's played good the last two weeks, but he's played against really bad teams. Like what Belichick's trying to tell the people is is you got to figure out why you win, why you lose, and it's not on the computer, it's not in the stats. Like it's the art of seeing as much as coaching. And I think that that scene is symbolic of this game here, Chicago Green Bay. Look, Trubisky's played really well, but he hasn't played against a team that truly is a very good defensive team. And not that Green Bay is a great defensive team by no means at all, but Green Bay is going to be complicating. Green Bay is going to move their people around. Green Bay is going to try to take away some things. I mean, they held him to three points. He's really never played well in Green Bay up there. You know, last year they won a game up there, but the, the reality, I think they're one in four since he's been there against the Packers and one and two on the road up there. For me, in my power rankings, now I'm not picking this game, so I'm not recommending it, but for me in the power rankings, it's Chicago all the way. Take the points. I have the line should be three, and the South Point, you get four and a half, so you got to take the Bears in this game, you know, and so I think that's the play. But I think the part I really wanted to talk about while we're talking about this game is, is I think it's really important when you watch a player, who's he playing against? Level of competition matters. And why is he playing good and why wasn't he playing good before? 
I think that's the fundamental question. Now, he's running the ball more. Will he run the ball in Green Bay? That remains to be seen. Aaron Rodgers is 17-5 and in his career as a starter versus the Bears, so he's always had their number. And he's also got 23-2 to touchdown-to-interception ratio this season, which is incredible, third highest in NFL history. But say this for Trubisky, numbers don't lie. Weeks 1 through 12, he had a total of 10 touchdowns, 6 picks, an 80 passer rating. Last two weeks, 6 touchdowns, two picks, and a 116 pass rating. Can he get it done versus Green Bay? That remains to be seen. I think the other thing we have to really – we haven't talked about this, and it's kind of like because they're 10-3, and three, we, don't, we haven't addressed it. But Aaron Rodgers the last five weeks hasn't been great. He averages 6.22 yards per attempt. That's lower than what, what Mitchell has been doing. 6.22, that's not typical. I mean, when he was going to the Super Bowl, he was at 8-2. You know, so his numbers, he's now overall for the season, he's 7-4. But he hasn't been as dynamic in the last few weeks. And I think that's really why I lean towards Chicago. Again, I'm not recommending that in my four, but I lean towards Chicago. And that's why I think the numbers say take Chicago. All right, to the games you actually are picking. Seattle's 10-3. and They're on the road against the 5-8 and Panthers. And Russell Wilson, in his first nine games, was the MVP for me. 118 passer rating, 22 touchdowns, one pick. However, Russell, his last four games, four touchdowns, four picks, and an 82 passer rating. Now he faces that Carolina defense. What do you like in this one? I love Seattle here. My line, I think it's the line should be seven and a half. The line right now is six. I think you got to get it now. Get it while it's six. You know, we got to get them now while we got the muscle, you know, <laughs> and, and take it because I think this line's going to go up. I think Carolina, you know, I, I think Carolina's struggling offensively. Seattle struggles defensively to handle the run. I could see Seattle playing well in the first quarter, but I think Seattle knows they need this game more than ever with the Rams playing the Cowboys this week. I think it's a problem, but I do, I like Russell Wilson on the road. They've been a really good road team. They lost last week. I think they'll bounce back. I think they'll win by a touchdown. Frankie Pentangeli, by the way, for those who didn't catch the reference from Mike. Can I get him now while we get the muscle? One other thought, just here at McCaffrey, Mike, how good he's been. I feel like we haven't talked a lot about him because the no. team's 5-8, and eight, but McCaffrey's got 100 more scrimmage yards in seven consecutive games. That's the longest active streak in football. Where would Carolina be without Christian McCaffrey? I don't know, but I think Carolina's in really good shape. The more I hear about this owner, the more this owner's thoughtful – he measures twice. He cuts once. I think they're going to be in a good shape. I really do. I think he's going to reshape the entire organization. He hasn't done that yet, but I think he knows what he needs to do, and I think he's going to get the people in there to help him do it. So I think that there's hope for Carolina along the way. All right, big game for the Dallas Cowboys. After the Eagles with a stirring comeback on Monday Night Football against the terrible Giants, it's now Eagles and Cowboys tied. Before they look ahead to next week's matchup, Dallas at 6-7 and seven is at home to the 8-5 and five L.A. Rams. Pivotal game here for the Rams if they want to make the playoffs because obviously for the Cowboys, the only way they're going to make it is they win the division. The Rams, they're going to have to make it if they win uh, the wild card. Cowboys 0-6 versus teams currently above 500 this season. They're 6-1 and one against teams below 500. Do they finally beat a good team? Uh, you know, this is, to me, my numbers said this should be, Dallas should be favorite. They were to start the week off. They were. And now all of a sudden, Dallas went from a three-point, a two-and-a-half-point underdog to now they're going to get a point and a half. I mean, you got to take Dallas here, right? You have to take them. You're getting a point. You're, you're a home dog. 
I mean, they've had 10 days off. I mean, here's the thing I like about the game for Dallas is there's no kidding around. Wade Phillips is going to play cover one. It's not going to be complicated. He's going to rush five, play cover one. And you may not be able to get the ball to Mari Cooper because Jalen Ramsey might take him out of the game, but you're going to be able to get the hell out of Troy Hill, the other corner. And if you can block the front, which the Cowboys can, you can make progress. The other thing I like about this game, I like the Cowboys' front having ability to rush the passer. I think the Cowboys will play better defensively than they have. I know it'll be an easy game for golf in terms of who or where they are, but I think playing on the road with some crowd noise and if they can get after golf a little bit, I'm going to take the Cowboys here. I may regret it, but my model says take them, so I'm just taking myself out of it. You mentioned the Cowboys' defense, the Rams' defense. They've allowed 15.4 points per game since acquiring Jalen Ramsey in Week 7. So that's the second fewest in the NFL. Their D's been better. And Dak Prescott's got to play better against a good team. 0-4 versus top 10 total defenses this season. Philadelphia and Washington. So the news for the Eagles is Alshon Jeffries out. How yeah. crazy is it, by the way, Mike? My buddy Irv was like, Josh McCallum was going to be a wide receiver on Monday night. That's how bleak it was with all the injuries they've had. And as you've said time and time again, no playmakers. But I give Carson Wentz credit. I thought they were down and out, and they came back to beat the Giants. Now they take care of business on the road against a 3-10 and Redskins team. Yeah, and, and now, I mean, that line has come way down. That line's down to four now. So it was, it was it started, opened at five. It's down to four. If you can get it at four, I'm all over Philly here. I think Philly should be over a touchdown favorite in this game. Here's why. I mean, the Redskins have lost some players. Kerrigan's going on IR, so they're off, their defensive line's not going to be as impactful. Their offensive line struggles. They have no real way to throw the football. They're going to have a hard time blocking. And to run the ball strictly with just Adrian Peterson against an Eagle team, I think is going to be really hard. And I think the Eagles, knowing how they played them the first time, will match up much better. I think Philly coming off that game, you know, they played like crap, even though every announcer in Philadelphia gave them A's for the game. That was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, they're booing them the entire game. When they went to Comcast and they did the grades of all the players, you know, the three guys up there, A, 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 you know, such homers, right? <laughs> anyway, so I like Philly here. I think everybody, the contrarian pick here is Washington. I just don't see it. I think Washington's one of those teams that plays good for a week. They try to keep the game close. But anytime I think you can get Washington less than uh, five points, I think you should go against them every time. Good news for the Eagles' defense. The Redskins rank last in the NFL 14.5 points per game this season. Dwayne Haskins, doesn't matter who it is, they, they, they really struggle to score points. Yeah, I th- and I think the Eagles will get pressure on them. And I think, I, look, they're not going to throw the ball. I mean, I don't think they're going to be able to throw the ball here. So we'll see. I mean, Philly's not a good road team. I'm a little nervous about this one, but I'm going to go with it. All right. Lastly, six and seven Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the three nine and one Detroit Lions. Maybe Matt Patricia right now is uh, coaching for his job at this point. Bo Scarborough, Bo knows football, 50 or more rushing yards, four consecutive games. He's been good for Detroit. But Tampa, the story is Jameis Winston, the turnover machine that he is. He leads the NFL in giveaways this season with 28. And Mike Evans won't play, but I like Tampa here. I think this line should be five-point Tampa should be fair. I think Tampa's played really well. Now, I know they turned the ball over, and it's risky. But I'm going to have to go with them here because I think Detroit just has – with David Blau, a quarterback, I think that's not going to matter. They lost Marvin Jones at wide receiver this week. I think Detroit struggles defensively, and this is a really good offensive team for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think they can, even if the game, you know, Detroit starts out up 10 nothing, 14 nothing. I think Tampa's got the ability to come back, and they play better on the road for some reason. Playing indoors, I think I like Tampa here to win this game. Yeah, they actually ranked third in the NFL in total offense and scoring offense this season. They scored 29.1 points per game. So Tampa Bay actually does have a really good offense considering the fact they are a sub-500 team. Coming up next, after the break, Mike called it. Joe Burrow, best quarterback in college football, but who's second best? We'll discuss that more after the break. 
All right, we will open up the GM Shuffle mailbag with a question from Ireland. Plus, the college football playoff is set. Who do we like at LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, or Oklahoma? But first, it's time for Joe's question of the week. Mike, you called it. Uh, no other college quarterback in college football has raised their stock this season like Joe Burrow has. I haven't felt the same hype, though, going into next year's draft that I have felt for Burrow. I'm just wondering who you guys think is the second best quarterback in the draft next year. The key is in the draft, because I think Trevor Lawrence is probably the second best quarterback in football, of course, to start with the Clemson. But I think Justin Herbert, I'll go with Oregon. You make a case for Sam Ellinger or KJ Costello, some of these guys. But I'm going to go with Justin Herbert, you know, big, strong guy at Oregon. He's a senior. I think he fits the profile. Obviously, to his injury hurts. Um, I still love Lawrence for next year. But yeah, I think after Joe Burrow, I'll go with Herbert, Mike. I'll go with Herbert, too. I think Jordan Love at, at Utah State's really good. Although, you know, I, my sense of this is, is, I think Tua should stay in school another year. I really do. I thought he was, you know, AD, I thought he was impressive sitting there with Nick watching the tape. I thought he was really, you know, he said, hey, I threw it here because this defensive back was turned. I thought he was really good in that. Not, I mean, that doesn't mean he's the second-best quarterback, but mm-hmm. I think he's got to get healthy first. But, you know, I think Herbert, the thing I worry about Herbert is, is I just never see them let him play in the game. He doesn't really ever – take over the game. They always sprint them out, do something. And and the fact is that Oklahoma's the fourth team in this thing is really bad. I mean, Utah or Oregon should have been the fourth team, really, but they screwed it up. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But now time for the mailbag. Tony in Ireland wants to know, my question is why no head coach has managed to win a Super Bowl with different franchises? Given the success of coaches in other professional sports, how come it's more difficult in the NFL? Well, you know, it's funny. You know, Brian Billick wins a Super Bowl and he can't get another job. You know, it's weird, right? Yeah. Like, how is that? You know, and because people have a perception of Brian, you know, that he was more of a of a CEO than he was truly a head coach, even though he was an offensive coordinator in the league. So, you know, that's a really interesting question. I think it's hard to explain. I mean, guys go like Belichick of didn't didn't have a winning record in Cleveland. A winning, you get second times. But like Mike McCarthy is Mike McCarthy guy. Did you see that piece that, that they did on NFL Network on Mike McCarthy? How he's been working and studying stuff. Yeah, be interested to see. Like people are talking about Lafleur, what his impact is on Green Bay. Rodgers' numbers are pretty much identical to what he was last year with McCarthy. Everybody bitched about his offense. You know, McCarthy should get another one, right? Will he win another Super Bowl? I don't know. But I would think McCarthy would do a world of good for a place like Cleveland. He would give him toughness. He'd give him stability. He'd give him an adult in the room. I mean, Ron Rivera didn't win one. I could see him getting one, too. So I think it's a really good question, Tony. I, I think sometimes guys that win Super Bowls, like Barry Switzer, they were just done coaching, right? They don't just want to coach anymore. Uh, by the way, Jeff Perlman's book uh, about the Cowboys, he talks about Barry Switzer. He says, you know, when, when the Cowboys made the Super Bowl, nobody partied harder than Barry Switzer. The stories in there are no. unbelievable. Like, he was the guy just getting after it. So funny. I mean, that's what, you know, and, and that was a day and age when, when Barry was the head coach at Oklahoma. That's what, I mean, guys like Barry, John Robinson, they weren't football guys. They were CEO guys. They were just running programs. Nobody, they weren't calling plays. I mean, John Robinson, I don't think he ever wore a headset. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, college football playoff preview. Here it is. LSU is number one, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. So Oklahoma gets in because they beat Baylor the Big 12 championship game. Utah lost to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Otherwise, I think the Utes would have been in. And then Georgia loses to LSU the SEC title game. So the Sooners joined three unbeaten teams. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson all look great. They all won their respective conference title games. It's going to be LSU and Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Ohio State is playing Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl. Both those games played on December 28th. And, of course, the championship game, January 13th at the Super Bowl, Superdome, rather, in New Orleans. I'm thrilled 
for LSU, Mike. I really hope Joe Burrow and Ed Orgeron can keep this thing going and they can knock off Oklahoma first and then hopefully win a national title. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm excited for it too. I think it's great. And the reality of it is, is, is Oklahoma, I think we're going to learn a lot about Lincoln Riley here. How good of a coach is Lincoln Riley? I mean, he's undermanned here. When does his program beat somebody? When does he be, do the, the Goliath thing? When does he beat David? When does he, you know, he's not at a, he's not at a slappy school. It isn't like he's Utah and this is his first foray in here. We're going to find out. I mean, this is going to tell you a lot about how he sets up the game plan, how he paces the game, what he does differently. I think it's a really good indication on what Lincoln Riley is going to be able to do and how he wants to play this game because he's not going to be able to play LSU the way he played Baylor. He's not going to be able to play LSU the way he played you know, Kansas State. He's going to have to change what he does, and he's going to have to strategically – manage the game in his head before he starts practicing this is how we want to play the game you know and it's a little like belichick here's how we have to do it and we got to practice tackling conditioning all those things because when you play lsu they're they're not gonna you could move the ball on them there's no doubt but you don't want to get in a track meet just ask alabama yeah, it would have been. It's amazing to see Alabama not in the college football playoff. That's a rarity, although without Tua healthy, obviously it was a tough sled in there for Nick Saban. All right, lastly, Thursday night football, five and eight Jets against the eleven and two Ravens. Sam Darnold against Lamar Jackson. It's great for football to have a guy like Lamar Jackson who everybody wants to see. Can you see the Jets defense slowing this guy down, especially on the road? Yeah, I mean, the Jets have a great run defense. Uh, my power ranking said the line should be 15. The line's 15. It's going up to 16. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the untold story about the Ravens team is how good they've played defensively in the last – they haven't given up over 20 points since they started this win streak. I mean, they've been really remarkable in how they've played, and a lot of that's Lamar controlling the football. You know, I mean, look, if Sam Darnold can make a few plays, I think the reality here is – once the Baltimore makes you play from behind, they're the number one team in first half point differential. Now, once they make you play from behind, it becomes problematic. I, I would take the Jets and the points. I'm not making this recommendation, but I would take the Jets and the points. But I think Baltimore wins. It'll be fun to at least see Lamar. But I, I you know, I got the jump channel tonight. I got the Sixers Celtics, which the, I'll be angry the whole night. And then I got the flat back and forth to football. And the other thing I want to do is I want to watch the scene with the Irishman again where Joe Pesci's making salad. I think that's the greatest oh, scene in the movie. It's amazing. I think it's so good when he did so, – like I bet they shot that in one shot. Yeah. Joe knows what he's doing with the salad. This does, he knows what he's right. doing behind the counter. <clears throat> he's so subtle with those I wish lists. they would have explained to me where the hell they were or why he was in some strange <laughs> kitchen. Like The Irishman, it's interesting how all everybody's doing their top five – movies of right. uh, Scorsese, but is it automatic that the Irishman gets in there? I don't know if it's automatic, but listen, I think Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, and Goodfellas are locks. Then it becomes a conversation of Mean Streets, Casino, The Irishman, and uh, you know The Aviator, Wolf of Wall Street. It depends on what era of film you're talking about. But yeah, it, it's being considered one of his best, and it's certainly the Golden Globe nomination, SAG Awards, I mean, it did very, very well. Did you see the tweet I retweeted this week about the guy that ran into Joe Pesci at the airport? Tremendous. And, Tell the story. Uh, so a guy runs into Joe Pesci at the airport, and this little kid goes up to him and says, are you Joe Pesci? Now, he must remember him from Home Alone or something like that, right? Right. So the guy says, yeah, he says, and so Joe Pesci said, asked the kid, who's your favorite actor? And the kid's smart enough to say Joe Pesci. And Pesci, you know, just classic goomba, takes out a wad of money and gives him a Ben Franklin right there on the spot. Is there anything better than that, really? like, yeah. My mother's father came over from Italy. I mean, spoke no English, blue-eyed Italian. He always had to have a Ben Franklin in his pocket. Now, he didn't have many more than just that Ben Franklin, but he always had to have a Ben Franklin in his pocket. He had $103. <laughs> 
exactly. When Puss says to Louis Lombardi, the FBI agent, he says, you know, my best friend, he's in there. That's Ben Franklin. That's the truth, right? So I, I thought that was a great Pesci story. It's like Pacino and Donnie Brasco when he's talking to Johnny Depp about how to dress, how to, how to walk, and he holds in the money. He goes, look at this, Bina on the outside. Come on, let's go. Get a pair of pants like me. Well, you know, it's funny. From that movie, right? So I learned something from that movie. So, and Millie tuned me into this. So, you know, most Italians, we don't own wallets, right? We have we have rubber bands. Right. Or a money clip. Or a money clip, right? Money clip's too cumbersome. But if you're a true goomba. You're a true, you're a made guy if, you're, if your rubber band is from the broccoli at the supermarket. It's from the purple. It's from the purple. So when I go to a supermarket, I'm deadly in supermarkets. Like Millie's like giving me shit all the time. Get out of there. Don't steal all those rubber bands because all my rubber bands are purple. <laughs> Because I'm just hoping, you know, I'm just hoping somebody's going to see me take out that wall and think I'm connected. Not No pinky ring for me, but the rubber band's so important. I'm going to go down to Mulberry Street, check out how many rubber bands I can see. Like, there's two things I've always wanted in life. I've always wanted to own a diner, but make it an office. Like, that's really what I like. Have a diner, but set it up. It looks like a diner, but that's where you work out of, right? And the other thing I've always wanted is a table like Clemenza had in The Godfather. I want a table in the kitchen. Oh. That's my own table. <laughs> like I think if I got those two things, I've made it. I've, I mean, I'm blessed to have four great grandsons. I love that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm not complaining here. How, and I'm not bitter. And I'm not angry. However, that being said, those would be two perks I'd love to have. Yeah, Fat Clemenza, one of the all-time great supporting characters. <laughs> is it? When he pulls in there, and it's a deleted scene, and it's one of the greatest scenes of all time. He pulls in there to have his dinner, <laughs> and they bring him out, and they don't. there's no word. The beautiful thing about it, when he sits there, when he sits his fat ass in there, there's no words exchanged. <laughs> I lo- there's no words exchanged. Like, I-, I want the sausage and peppers. No. I want the r- rigatoni. To- no, no, no. The plates just come. They just start coming. I don't know why. I was thinking about the other day when Tessio, you know, when they know he's the one, they tell us to him. He goes, hey, Tom, can you get me off for old time's sake? And he goes, can't do it, Sally. And he goes, tell Mike I always liked him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but before you kill me, I did always like Mike. He's a good guy. <laughs> Love it. Uh...